Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. My, it's good to worship with you this morning. You realize that this is the first Easter service that we've had in three years. It's, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's, uh, I'm so, yeah. I'm so glad not to be talking to a camera this morning. I love to see your smiling faces, and it's all, it is all good, so I'm so thankful. Uh, if you have your Bibles and uh, cell phones or tablets, you want to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at verses 3 to 8 this morning. Uh, but uh, before we get there, I want to help you frame what's going on today. Uh, we celebrate this day in history because, well, it changed everything. It was like a bomb went off in the spiritual realm and everything was different. The events that we celebrate at Easter are at the core of our faith as followers of Jesus. And, and sometimes it's helpful to step back, get the, the big picture to see what happened. Why did Jesus become human? Uh, why did he, he have to die? What happened in the resurrection? Yeah, I know many of, of you are followers of Jesus, and, and, and you understand the basics. Jesus died to save us from our sins, but, but we're missing the big picture. This morning, I, I want to show you some of the far-reaching effects uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In doing this, I hope to answer some of the, the more common questions that are asked about the cross. You know, people who think about faith uh, want to understand questions like, well, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just have forgiven us without the cross? Um, I'm hoping for you, for those of you who follow Jesus, that you'll step a little deeper into the thinking and into the reality that, happens on this, uh, that happened on this Easter weekend so long ago and continues to happen in our lives. Now, I thought I'd change up the form of the sermon uh, for a little bit anyways, and uh, so I'm going to organize our thoughts around some questions and answers. Uh, I got this idea uh, of this format from James Bryan Smith in his book, A Good and Beautiful God. The answers that you're going to get this morning are, are more or less a paraphrase of Athanasius. Now, Athanasius was a bishop of Alexandria in the fourth century. I want, I tell you this because I want you to know that what I'm telling you is not some newfangled theology, but in fact, this is what the church in history has believed about the cross and the resurrection of Christ for the last 1600 years. So we're going to start, first question, why did Jesus become a human? being and suffer and die on the cross. Why, why didn't Jesus just teach us about how to live in a way that was pleasing to God? Well, Athanasius would answer, um, that would have worked if humanity had not fallen into complete corruption. If we had, as humans had merely just broken a law, well, we could repent of that. If our problem was ignorance, then education would have been our solution. But the problem is much deeper than that. It's not merely that we we did wrong, we were wrong. Our, our souls have been corrupted and warped and poisoned to such an extent that they couldn't be cured by willpower or knowledge or even just acknowledging that we broke a law and turning back. Well, how did, how did we become, the second question is, how did we become uh, corrupted and warped? Well, the, the answer is that, well, here's the short version. God created humans in his image which means that they were created with reason 
and they could create, and, and we were created to know God. We were created for fellowship with God. Now, Adam and Eve were only given one commandment, which was to show their love for, for, for God. Uh, and that commandment was that they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This, this tree symbolized the desire to be God. And only God knows truly good and evil. But they were warned, you know, on the day that you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, on that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, they did eat the tree, and they died in a spiritual sense right away. They were moved away from God's presence. They were no longer able to have easy fellowship with God. And consequently, they began to, to die physically. Not only would they one day physically perish, but they were now living in a state of corruption. Next question, but could not God just have forgiven them? Answer, well, if it was only just about forgiveness for what they'd done, if, if that was all, then, then God could have done that. Eating of the tree of good and evil, they, though they, they became something different than they were. They had changed. Their, their souls had been warped and corrupted. The image of God had been shattered, and they knew what evil was. It wasn't about forgiving the act of disobedience. God's dilemma was that he didn't want to destroy this wonderful creation that he had made, but our souls had become warped. The image of God had been shattered. So what was a good God to do? Question, well, wasn't there a way that we could save ourselves? Couldn't, couldn't we just repent? The answer, well, repentance couldn't change what we were now in our nature. It was corrupt. Even if we were to cease from sinning, which we could not, there'd still be this corruption on the inside. The law of death was a work within us. So the question, so what's, what's the solution to the problem? It's not a what, rather it's a who was the answer. Who that needed to solve the problem? Only the word of God himself, who also in the beginning made the things out of nothing, could solve the human problem. And for this purpose in God, who was not limited by a physical body, or under the power of sin, entered into our world. And he took himself on himself a body, a human body, even as our own. The question is, but why? Couldn't God just have appeared in some other form? Why, why did he have to have a human body? Answer, well, Jesus took on a body like ours because our human bodies were, were liable to corruption, corruption of death. And he surrendered his body to death in place of all. He took the corruption that sin had caused on himself in bodily form. And out of sheer love for us, so that, so that, that his death all might die, and the law of death would be abolished. Thus he would make death disappear like straw, uh, uh, utterly like a straw from fire. So the question is, so, so Jesus took on a body so that he could die, is that right? The answer is yeah. Corruption could not be removed other than through death. For this very reason, Jesus assumed a body capable of death. It was by surrendering to death that the body uh, which he had taken on as an offering and as a sacrifice, it made it free from every stain, that he abolished death 
uh, for his human brothers and sisters by offering the equivalent. Uh, he fulfilled in death all that was required. Uh, next question is, what do you mean by the offering of equivalent? So this was big for Athanasius. Um, well, the answer is complete corruption, which is the state that human beings were in after the fall, could only be reversed by a, a sacrifice of complete incorruption. Jesus was sinless. So the next question, so does that mean, so what does that mean for you and me? Well, the, the answer is this, that Jesus reverses the original fall by doing for what, us what we could not do for ourselves. By sacrificing his own body, Jesus put an end to the law of death, which barred our way. He, he took care of corruption by doing that which, which uh, made uh, a new beginning of life for us, by giving us hope and resurrection. Jesus, you see, destroyed death and gave us new life. So why, why did Jesus have to die the way he did on a cross? Couldn't he have just died in his sleep and accomplished the same thing? Well, the answer is, is that Jesus had to die in a real, undeniable public death that everyone could see. If there were no witnesses to his death, no one would be able to believe his resurrection. Um, he would just be regarded as a teller of tales. So the question is, why did he have to die in such a shameful way? Crucifixion is the most painful, humiliating way to die. Um, couldn't he have died a more honorable death? Athanasia would say, I, I know you'll pour the cross, as you should, but note this. A marvelous and, and mighty paradox has occurred for the death which, which he, he, they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious moment of death's defeat. So they tried to kill him in shame. The cross stands for eternity as a symbol of the glory of God. He is, um, and one final point, how could he have reached out to the entire world if he had not been crucified? For only in the cross, for it is only in the cross that a man dies with his arms outstretched. One last question. Why did he have to be resurrected from the dead? In death, he took our corruption upon himself. In the resurrection, he conquered that corruption and demonstrated to all that uh, he conquered that corruption. It's not enough to take sin and death on himself. He had to triumph over it. And the resurrection shows his victory. Those are the answers that Athanasia would have given to the historic church, he, how he would have talked about Easter. Hopefully those... Questions and answer help you with the question, why? I want to spend the rest of my time on what that means to you. I'm not sure what happened in church history. But something happened somewhere along the line. The message of Christianity turned away from being about the power of the cross to being good. It became about having good morals and good conduct and measuring up. Um, Christianity became about becoming virtuous and, and uh, spurning vices. And there's a lot of people who go to a lot of churches and they come away with this message. God is good, 
you're not, try harder. <laughs> right? God is good, you're not, try harder. That's the message that people get. That's not the message of the gospel. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is Peter writing to the church in Asia. He's writing to followers of Christ, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is, all re that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though, though now for, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not see him, seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This passage written to believers. I want to walk you through it because it is something to be thankful for. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Something good. If you are a follower of Jesus, something good, something great has happened to you, but it's not because of you. It's because of God, and he deserves the praise. It's, it's in his great mercy. It comes out of his great mercy. It's, uh, and here's what comes out of his, his mercy. You've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. This is mercy. This is grace. This is undeserved favor that God has shown us. He gives us new birth. So, Athanasius, you heard, we've been corrupted by sin. Uh, the image of God has been shattered. Um, our souls have been warped. How does God deal with that? Well, he doesn't renovate us. He gives us a new birth. You may remember the story of Nicodemus, uh, and Jesus said, you must be born again. Of course, he was talking about spiritually. It's a new birth into a living hope. You were made a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Peter says you were giving, given a, a new birth into a living hope. And you and I know that while we're born again, we're not perfect. Well, I know I'm not perfect. Maybe you think you're perfect. I don't know. But uh, um, I know I'm not perfect. You know the challenges that come, right? You know the temptations that come and the dysfunctions that we're up against. But God in his great mercy has, has given us a new birth into a hope that is alive. We can see God has worked in our lives, but we can also see that God is working in our lives. There's a hope because of, of what the Spirit of God is up to right now, that all can be made new and right. Now note, 
this new birth, this living hope comes to us, it comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just as Jesus died, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, you were given new life. Jesus' resurrection has blazed a trail for you and, has, and because he, brought to, uh, he was brought to life and conquered corruption by, brought on by sin, you too can have uh, life through the same resurrection and you were given a new birth. You were given, made a new creation. At the core of who you are, you are a new creation. You're born of the Spirit. You're born anew. Verse 4 says that you've been given an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And it's not just good for this life. It is good for the one to come as well. Here's what verse 4 says. End of verse 4. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the Bible talks about the fact that you were saved. There was a time when you came to know the Lord, he came into your heart, you were born again, you were made a new creation. The Bible also talks about the fact that you are being saved. We'll get into that a little later on because Peter goes there. And then in this verse, it's like you will be saved. There's coming a time when more will be revealed and your, your salvation will be whole and your dysfunctions and your, your, uh, everything that uh, you find that, that is not heading you towards what you're created to be is gone at the appearance of Christ. Until that time, though, you are shielded by God's power through faith. Your faith is in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that shields your new self from being corrupted by the world. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. Our mind, our will, our emotions are not fully saved yet. But at the core of who you are, there's this new creation, and your faith in Christ is what, what keeps you protected. And we need protection. Because in verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness, to prove a genuineness of your faith. You know that there's all kinds of grief in this world, right? That doesn't come as news. There's so many different kinds of trials. These come to prove that your faith is genuine. Prove to who? Not to God. God knows everything. He doesn't need proof. He knows where you're at faith-wise. But when you walk through the storm and you sense his peace, when you walk through the desert and you sense his strength, when you walk through your struggles and you sense his hope, you know that your faith is real. You know that who God is. And you know that God is good. So many of you have said, yeah, it's been a hard time. I've drawn closer to God. I've seen God show up in this way. Or I've seen God show up in that way. God's been present to me. God, God has done something. And God is doing something. God is on the move. You know that he's good. Through trials and suffering, your faith is being proved genuine to you. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
For now you are receiving the end of result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You love him even though you don't see him. Like you heard Thomas. You know, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You believe in him, although you can't see everything. And that love, it fills you with joy. Verse 9, because of your faith, you are receiving the salvation of your souls. Um, that's where you are being saved right now. It's ongoing. It's happening right now. If you are, look back 20 years ago and say, I was saved then and nothing has happened, there's a question as to whether God has actually worked in your life because salvation is an ongoing thing. You may not see it every day, but you, it, it, it is ongoing and it is to be very present. Every, every story of how people come to know Christ is different. Some of you grew up in the church and you learned from your parents and from your pastors to know Jesus. Some of you came to, to faith later on in life. And you've been through some tough times and God met you. Some of you came because a friend told you about Jesus. Others of you came because, well, somebody brought you to church and you learned about Jesus. The reality is, is that you can't come into faith unless the Father's been drawing you in some ways. Some he does dreams and visions. Others he, he works in a still, quiet way. But he draws us and says, I want you to know me. The Bible says, whosoever will may come and receive this new life. It's, it's really a combination of the Father drawing you and you choosing to receive God. You responding to that call. Jesus says, I, I want you to know this salvation, that I died and I rose again. I conquered sin and evil and death. I made a way that you could be restored into the image of God, that you could move back into all that you were created to be to be full of life. If you are listening and you've received that life, do what Peter said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is worthy of shouting. That is worthy of praising God for. That is worthy of lifting up our hands and cheering. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I invite you to do so right now, even as I'm talking. Ask him to come into your life. Say, Lord Jesus, when you died, I believe you died for me, and I receive your life, and I'm going to follow you. Ask him to make you new. And he responds to prayers like that. Simple prayers, they don't have to be complicated. He just responds to people reaching out to him. God is so gracious. He wants to give you new life and more. The cross and the resurrection changed everything in the spiritual world. You're invited into new life because of them. I encourage you to embrace what Jesus did for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the cross and the resurrection. Because of what you've done in us, we can, in fact, look forward to the future because we know that you'll be there. We 
were saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. We have this living hope. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord, for your life in us. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.